0: Welcome back, episode 19. On today's show, we're talking the rest of the regular season and the playoffs. What are their options for the NHL to squeeze these in? We're going to redraft the 1989 draft, and in Stories of the Game, Tom talks about one of his former teammates, Pat LaFontaine. I'm Joe Grammatico, and this is The Lighter Side. Welcome. Did you see any uh, good hockey games this week?
1: <laughs> Joe, no, I'm just, I'm surviving. I'm just trying to get a carton of eggs, Joe.
0: <laughs> yeah, how's that? You
1: know, maybe, maybe a slab of beef. No, no luck yet. I mean, uh, I think I'm going to have to get up at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, now that I'm stuck at home here, companies are shutting down and sending people home. And we're doing our work from home and, uh, you know. So, yeah, my quest is getting a carton of eggs, maybe a, a couple pot roasts, man. I might have to I might have to sell a kidney. I don't know. Yeah, you guys. We're in discussion. My wife and I are in discussions. That might be the next option. So, <laughs> carton, we a carton of eggs.
0: All right. We, I'm stocked up. I have three. You need I can sell you some.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe we can. I, I got a, a thing of pecan sandies here. Maybe we can swap out.
0: All right. Yeah, that's the the new currency now. They're talking about that thousand uh, dollar stimulus going out, but you know, food is a little bit more important right now than the cash. If you can
1: barter, uh, yeah, I don't know if that thousand dollars is gonna is that like per month or something. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm sure some of these some of these people will go out and buy cell phones or something. I don't know.
0: Oh, you know, food? yes, yeah,
1: it, it, it's just uh, the world we live in, so.
0: But anyway. Yeah, I got, I got excited for a second the other day, forgetting that we were on lockdown. I was flipping through and there was a, uh, there was a March Madness tournament was on and I was like, crap, they started this. And I looked up at the little window in the corner. It was from like four years ago.
1: So I had to quit. Same thing happened to me. I came back from a buddy's house and, and, you know, know, I I, went in there helping put some cabinets together. That's how bored I was. And then, uh, Came home and flicked the TV on, and there's some golf on. I got so excited, you know, and then I saw, you know, 20 minutes later that it was a, a tape from uh, last year's tournament. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of a letdown, but uh, starved for sports and, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just one one big necessity. to realize how important sports are when you don't have them. Right. Good release. You know? You no know, that's that's what we're faced with right now, and the n h l is faced with things um uh, so that's where we're at joe
0: yeah on the on the n h l side I heard a couple interesting things thrown around if they can get this season back up and running uh to get the playoffs. The first one that I came across was the talk they might open it up uh, to twenty fourteen playoff. Uh, any thoughts on that? I heard a uh, best of three series, and the, the top three teams in each uh, each division would get like a first round bye. Uh Any thoughts initially when you came across that twenty four team playoff?
1: Yeah, it all it all varies. Uh, it all depends on on when they start this. Because if you if you start getting into late July, I don't think there's going to be any option. I just think they're going to shut it down. Right. If they are able to get it up and running and, and do go to a 24 team format, to me, I think when they originally announced the shutdown, I think those top 16 teams, the ones, you know, three leaders in each, uh, division plus wild cards in each conference, I believe. Right. Yep. Comprises of the 16. I think they should be seated accordingly. Maybe get a buy and let those other eight teams who are on bubble. Uh, still mathematically alive, you know, and and their seasons obviously would have uh, hinged on the last 13 games, 12 to 13 games that they were still that was still on the schedule. I think they should have to play that extra round, maybe a best of three or something, uh, maybe even shorten it to a one game, kind of like an NCAA thing, uh, just to get into that, you know, and just. Maybe have two teams out of those eight teams. So you make it like an 18 team field, and then just restructure
0: from there.
1: Right. Uh, that's probably the best way I can think of doing it. Um, but what you, what are your thoughts on that, Joe?
0: I don't, yeah, I don't, I get a lot of questions. Uh, what are, what are they going to do? How would they lay it out? Who gets the buy? Does it, does it even benefit those teams at the top? Cause then they're not playing for a little bit longer. Um, it doesn't make sense to put up a you know one versus twenty four because we've seen upsets happen quite a bit in three games. You know, teams coming off of a long layoff. Who knows what could happen? So it's not fair to the to the top teams. So I don't know. But, it's yeah. You feel like at least the divisional teams, the top three in each division, would would get the buy, and maybe the two wild cards from each conference. Have to do? They become the top seeds in in, in those brackets. Yeah, you almost have like a play in. But how long? How long does that go? That, I mean, that almost even drags it out to next season with that much hockey. Uh,
1: well, you, you got to be smart about it, Joe. It's like like maybe have the, the eight teams do a quick play in, maybe one game elimination type thing, and and um, just make that like a week, no more than a week's you know length. Because like you said, you can't sit dormant, you know, uh, they're already missing enough hockey right now. Even to come back right now would be tough being a week off. Um, it does affect your legs. It does affect your timing. Um, but just saying that it does need to be a short period of time because they're, they're running out of time. I think when you get into late April, uh, you're pretty much exhausting your options and, uh, one thing I do know, they're going to want to keep, uh, a full season of games slated for next year. They don't want that. No matter when it starts, they're going to want 82 game schedule. Right. So they're really up against it. And you brought up a couple of interesting points in past conversations about, uh, you know, the draft. Yeah. And free and all this other yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. If they. Yeah. Once it, like you say, you know, it gets through April, May, and they decide they have to shut the season down, there's, you know, there's going to be interesting decisions to make. You got the free agency always, you know, starts July 1st and you got the, uh, the draft, the draft eligible players. That's in late June. So if they do freeze the season, you know, it's the 15, the regular 15 teams, are they in the draft lottery and they seed everyone else out? you know sixteen through thirty one or or do they do something like we saw in the in the lockouts in the past where all thirty one teams are are thrown in uh, to the draft lottery i I know everyone's gonna complain so there's gonna be a lot of unhappy owners you know regardless I don't know what the what the right solution is
1: yeah there's really i mean uh, they they spoke to um uh bill daly he's a, a NHL deputy, you know, operations or deputy commissioner. Um, he basically said that the NHLPA and them, they they were discussing a couple different options. Um, you know, just having a, a complete restart. You know, we need to do it in you know, like August, September, October. So plan would be to finish the final 15%. The regular season,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then start playoffs. And then if, if you had to pause for the free agency signings and the entry draft. Right. And then before you even started. So I don't know. That might be rough on the players just because they're, they're groomed. They're groomed to, uh, their creatures of habit, you know. So it's going to affect that with that scenario. Right.
0: Yeah, it's, and it affects the players that are draft eligible. Because then, what do they do? Report to training camp with their junior team again, and come fall, and
2: right Joel. start
0: playing in. Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. And it, I just with the news that comes out every day, surrounded around the virus, it seems more and more like it's this is going to drag on, and we're going to. Be in the in the midst of a shutdown here at some point. I know the AHL already shut shut things down. Yeah, um, well,
1: the reason for that, I, I believe, and the NHL is going to have to think about this because if on a business uh, standpoint, from a business outlook, you, you would almost need a clean slate to recover from this. Mm-hmm. So you know that's what I'm thinking. It's going to affect salary caps. You know everything's gauged by league revenue. You don't have playoff revenue. Right. Um, you know, there's going to be an effect to the salary cap. And they're talking about if they even start the season and resume it again, they're going to need, each team's going to need a seven to 10 day mini camp right. for even, even starting up again. So, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a timing thing. Um, like I said, it, they're going to cancel it if they feel that it compromises a full season next year. Right. So uh, you got to remember too, Joe. A lot of these venues, they're, they're multi-purpose venues. Uh, concerts are going to be coming in. Uh, it is the summer season and uh, a lot of concerts come in and different circuses and different other events that will conflict. So it's not just because they're able to do this. I mean, there still has to be everything going right in that avenue uh, as far as uh, making sure you know, these other venues like little Caesars arena is, is one of the busiest venues in the world. Uh, state of the art. And there's a bunch of other ones just like it around the league. So, you know, what do you do? Right. You, know, you can't sit there and say, Hey, uh, lady Gaga, for instance, we're going to have to ask you to, uh, to bump your, uh, two day, you know, tour, uh, stop here in, the, in Detroit, you know, hypothetically. Right. Uh, I think they would be up against that, uh, wouldn't be for that. So it's not easier said than done. There's a lot of other issues too. Uh, but those are the main things I'm thinking of salary cap and scheduling and, you know, collective bargaining agreement contracts are up in July as well. Mm-hmm. So what do you do?
0: Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on and all the league's up against it facing the same issues. Uh, so yeah, interesting to see how it all plays out, but definitely with hockey and obviously that's the one I watch and follow the most. Of seeing how this is all gonna come together, and it got that as, as the Red Wing fan, I got it in the back of my mind. How what, which way? What's the worst case scenario? Because it seems like the you know, and I, as most fan bases probably feel the same way, unless you're you know, a Pittsburgh fan and you get Sidney Crosby, you know, the league benefit there, but. Seems like whatever could go wrong, or what could go against the Red Wings the most, is how it'll work out. So I just keep thinking, once whatever the whatever the final scenario is, they're they're gonna get screwed some way of having a a decent chance of taking home the top pick in the draft.
1: Right, right. The, the second scenario, a lot of the players have been talking about this is um, you know, they want to complete the regular season in July. They hold the playoffs in August and September, right break you know for a shortened uh october off season and then commence the twenty twenty one season in November but uh, once again you're you know you have league officials that bring up Detroit as an example, like okay, teams that are already out of it, why would they want to play right those remaining eleven games what is it in it in it for them? But what they don't realize is tough means. That's, that's, hey, that's what you get for playing poorly. Right. I mean, that's the least of my concerns would be what Detroit's worried about. Right. Um, they, uh, they can still play spoiler. So it is important for them. Those games will be important for them for, you know, on the, on the, um, the integrity of the league and, you know, competing. You know for the other teams that are fighting for a playoff spot it's you know it is important so that'd be the least of my concerns worrying about a team like Detroit and say the three team down in California because they haven't shown well all year what they think about that but once again it does it does put a lot of pressure on the players bodies and mm-hmm. and what they're used to year in and year out there these are like well-trained machines in these bodies and and their investments for, for these owners and. Um, and and for agents and the player themselves, uh it's gonna be different. Uh probably no different than maybe maybe a, a person who's maybe on day shift and takes a midnight shift. It it takes its toll on your body. Right. Yeah, we, so I'm guessing that would be a
0: good, yeah. good analogy. Yeah, we talked about it each the last uh the last two episodes. You know, you got a guy that's like Steven Stamkos that's undergone surgery and He's projected you know he was going to be out till May anyway, but you know what do you do in that situation with a superstar like that with this weird timing if they did decide to come back and that was the decision they play games in July? Do you even let him play with that long of a layoff and coming back from that injury?
1: Well, it might suit might suit him well because it is an injury that needs to time off anyway um. He's going to, no matter when he comes back, it's going to be a, a tough um, venture for him because, you know, you got to get through the mental part of that as well. But the time off from that injury um, is needed. Um, I don't know if you can simulate NHL play uh, with an off-season regimen or in therapy uh, regimen, uh, but that would probably be a benefit to them because they would probably get him back healthy even though he wouldn't be hockey healthy so he'd probably be in the same boat as a lot of players that obviously have been off for three or four months or whatever it could equate to um, the best scenario would be that this whole coronavirus thing gets under control um, before late April and maybe they get the games in by May right early May. that would be the best scenario. Right. But like I said, if it goes into July, Joe, and uh you may as well just shut it down. Yeah. You know, put a, put an asterisk by it, you know.
0: Right. Yep, declare a, a league champ or something for the finals the regular season standings and yeah, like you said, put an asterisk and move on.
1: Oh man, yeah, I don't you know, you a lot of frustrated uh teams, you know, with some of these teams having uh you know, you know, pretty good years and they haven't sniffed the cup in a while and you know just kind of wipe it clean you know but, uh, you know it is a business too and uh, you gotta you gotta look at all the variables and and uh, that's a tall order for the uh the nhl as well as other pro leagues and uh i've heard they're they're communicating a little bit but uh the nhl is kind of its own entity they've always been that way and uh i think whatever they do be in the best interest of the game and the safety of the players and uh, fans and everybody involved. Right. Well, well,
0: keep an eye on it. Maybe there'll be some sort of a development in the next week, and we'll follow it and talk about it again next week. Hopefully, some positives both on the the virus side and getting the league back up and running here quickly. Um. So that Yeah. So with uh with not much uh, going on in the and the NHL front and sports in general, we decided that, you know, what could we talk about? So we picked up uh, the 1989 draft and go through the redraft, the, the top 10 uh, from the 1989 draft. So you got your list in front of you on your redraft here?
1: Yeah, Joe, I overlooked this draft uh, when you brought the topic up and uh, didn't really look at any of the the drafts before or after. Um, but looking at this draft, there's a, a couple names that strike me and, uh, was an interesting draft for Detroit's future, uh, in more ways than one. But, uh, as a whole, this 89 draft is a little bit disappointing and, and does really, really symbolize, uh, you know, what the draft is as far as a crapshoot. This, this draft right here. With all 12 rounds, I mean, not too many players, uh, you know, had some budding careers uh, coming out of here. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say 20 players out of, out of the 12 rounds, which I don't. How many players was that, Joe, drafted in this draft? I think like right, 113. Or no,
0: out of the 12, something. so there was 21 teams in the league at the time, and through all 12 rounds, it ends up with two 252 players drafted.
1: Right. And there's like probably, like I said, probably 15 to 17 guys who had careers that I would call like impactful to a point. And uh, I guess we're going to be talking about a few of them right now.
0: Yeah. So I ran it real quick. I took the, the saber metrics, point shares. So it's like the, the baseball metric of win shares. So the, the points uh, um, that each player. How many each you team's nerd. points? Yeah, right. Well, it was easy for you me nerd. to find. It was easy for me to find, so I just took it and ranked what those. You? There you go. So now I did just to say you know how you know how weak the draft was overall. Only you know if I, if you plug that in and and use that for your first round, only five of the original first round draft picks would still be drafted in the first round based off the. The value through okay. throughout their career, so yeah, just to to your point and how weak oh. it it ended up being.
1: So, and that's even more more than I have listed now, possibly, and I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know, but how do you want to do this? I mean, uh, I I think Matt Sundin went first overall, correct?
0: Yep. As I say, we could start with number one and who you got plugged in there because Sundin went okay. first. Sundin went first overall. Uh, but there's another name that I'm sure you're going to bring up that you probably plugged in first overall. So go ahead.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to, with this, knowing what I know now, 31 years later or so, I'm, I'm plugging in, uh, the kid from Sweden, uh, Nick Lidstrom. 1564 games, a few Norris trophy, trophies under his belt. And we all know, uh, what a stabilizing force this guy was. Uh, probably one of the top three defensemen who ever played the game. So that's my number one. Who do you got? Joe? Yep.
0: That's who I plugged into. I plugged in uh, Lidstrom. I did. I just swapped Sundin. I moved him from one to two, so I had two Swedes going first oh. and second: Lidstrom okay. and Sundin.
1: Okay. So you told me your second.
0: All yep. Right. I got. I did Lidstrom Sundin. Oh, I, th- okay. I think the Sundin part—if he would have been on some better teams. And you know was able to go on some deep playoff runs. Uh, he, yeah, it would have been more of a toss up, but you got to go with Nick Lidstrom. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, like you said, one of the top three defensemen of all times. And Sundin, even though he had a a great career, he just lacked the the individual awards and you know the hardware. Uh, and the, on the team side, you know, he really wasn't on any, any good, uh, Nordic teams and then on any good, uh, Maple Leaf teams that, that went on long playoff runs. So, yeah, that, that to me, right. that bumps him down from, from one to two, but I still, he was right there. He, you know, you're not going to argue, you know, even if you did keep him first overall, he's still a, a great player and on a better team. You know, who knows? Well, Joe, I, I'm going to
1: surprise you here. I, I did not keep him at the second pick. And uh, I think if he would have stayed with, with Quebec, who eventually shortly after, uh, turned, uh, into the Colorado Avalanche, I think he would have had that support and cast to enhance his numbers, mm-hmm. possibly get a couple cups. But, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, he went over to the Maple Leafs, uh, put up some good numbers there, but, didn't always have the, the great playoff uh, performances or um, team wise to really warrant uh, me to put them or keep them number two. I, I slid uh, Sergey Fedorov into the number two slot. Okay. Uh, 1248 games played, 483 uh, goals. Uh, it would have been great if he would have hit the 500 mark, but uh, he ended up leaving Detroit. And, you know, had some so-so years with, uh, Columbus and, uh, a few other teams or Anaheim, I believe. But the thing about Sergey and why I put him at number two ahead of, uh, Sundin, Sundine, he's one of the few players that I've ever seen play in NHL history who can control the flow of a game. Right. And not even, be, not even be in the scoring
0: column, Joe. Right.
1: The goals are his. List. Uh, he had that kind of skill set where he could actually dominate a game. Um, Without being in scoring column, and that's it's hard to say. Uh, for, there's not probably a handful of players that I can make that uh, that claim. Um, so I put him as number two, Joe. Uh,
0: who do you got for number three? Number three, I plugged in uh, Fedorov would have been going to the Leafs. Yep. Oh, good. I plugged Fedorov oh. in at number three. Yep.
1: That's good. Yes. Good pick. So you and I kind of, I just I, we flip flopped. I put Sundin. As Sun Dean going to uh, well, Toronto. Again. Yeah, Toronto kind of Toronto had uh, three picks, I believe, in the first round that year.
0: Yeah, and yes.
1: None of them panned out. None
0: of them. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but They had they, they, they took Scott Thornton.
0: They took Scott Thornton third. They took Rob Pearson 12th. And they took yeah. uh, the legendary Steve Bancroft, the defenseman uh-huh. at 21. He played in six games in his career. Game,
1: uh, none with the Leafs.
0: Yeah, probably the.
1: Right uh, Scott Thornton was a decent NHL player. Played 941 games, but he did most of those. Uh, I think with Montreal and San Jose, just a big. I noticed a lot of big forwards and defensemen. This is the league of size. Uh, the draft of size. Uh, I noticed a lot of big, six foot two, six range, six foot four guys. Um, but yeah, Scott Thornton was the original pick in that that Particular slot, and uh, but we uh, yeah, yep. obviously, with our wisdom and uh, knowledge of yep. you know, what already happened, we've got uh, Fedorov and Sun Yeah. so who got next, Joe?
0: I'll surprise you with my number four pick. I moved I moved this guy up from 19th overall to number four, and I went with Ole the goalie. It took Olaf Kolzig at number four to go to Winnipeg.
1: Okay. Okay, that's an interesting pick, and you know the reason why I stayed away from moving him up that high. Obviously, know what he did. He didn't really start off like putting the numbers up with Washington until like probably about '96 or '97. That's when I noticed he started taking over the role as number one goalie. Yep. So you're talking a good six, seven years there before that draft. Yep. Um, yep. Even came into into play so he he was a late bloomer uh, for various reasons i'm trying to find my fourth pick here i'm going to find it um, I, I had uh
0: well you can keep Stu barnes um, if you want
1: <laughs> actually Steve barnes Stu barnes is a good good role player uh more like a draper type. but i i got adam foot
0: okay that's a good adam pick Foote.
1: yeah i got adam foot uh mainstay for uh he was with Quebec and got with them until they turned into Colorado. Uh, had a great career with them, and uh, we all know him here in Detroit for being a rough, physical, you know, and consistent presence on their blue line So uh, in front of Patrick Watt. So that's who I got sl- slotted in number four, Joe. All right. So Winnipeg would have a nice defenseman right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, we both went. I took the goalie outside. Winnipeg never, never had good goalies back then. Who would have been their goalie in '89? Yeah,
1: probably a senza. Uh, maybe. They have
0: Pokey Redick. Was Pokey Reddick running around Reddy,
1: in Reddy, '89? Maybe Ohm out of the Quebec League. When I played, he, he, Pokey and the Bandit. Remember though? Yeah, they, they had that name. With uh, could have been those two guys. I, I'd have to check that though. Yeah, they. But, yeah, they never. I don't know. They they always had these goalies that would. Uh, you know, was goalie by committee sometimes over there, uh,
0: carousel of goalies. Right.
1: They got a good one now though.
0: Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yep. He's a local guy. I'd take him on the uh, on any team I was putting together.
1: Yeah, most definitely.
0: So, what do you got number five, Joe? Number five, I went with. I I left him at number five. Big Bill Guerin, yes. the first U.S. Been... pick. You left him at five.
1: Right, that's the mainly, the, the guy was uh, a solid player, 1,263 games, uh, four hundred over 400 goals, 430 maybe, 429. And mainly, uh, this guy, he was a money player, played 162 playoff points in 140 playoff games, and he's won the Cup. Rugged yep. uh, power forward, uh, yep, played in the North uh East junior hockey league and then went to Boston college and uh you know good pick by New Jersey for sure yeah
0: all right number six who you got it? six
1: uh, well I think I slid uh, back over to uh CSKA in Moscow for uh Pavel Burek
0: yep that's who I took I put Burek up from he originally went 113. Now that was back at 89. That was back when they couldn't get the Russians over to the U.S. I remember Jimmy Devil. I remember Jimmy Devil, Jimmy Devolano talking about. It. People thought he was crazy when he took Fedorov at 74. They thought he was wasting a a fourth round pick. Um. Right. And yeah, so Buray going at you know originally at 113. That was kind of more. The, the range where GMs were looking to you know draft the Russians in case they ever you know, took the Iron Curtain down and let them come over, but yeah, had that. I, go ahead. No, I say had that Iron Curtain not been up, you know, those two guys definitely would have been you know, first, second round picks for sure.
1: Oh, uh, no doubt. Um, and you, I believe, right around that time, I think uh, New Jersey was sniffing around uh, for peace off and the other defenseman, Kasatonov, I think yeah. both those guys went over. They led the, they led the uh, charge for the Russian players coming over here, even though they, they weren't drafted. I think they were just picked up as like free agents or something because they're, they were a certain age. They were older players, obviously that came over to the NHL a lot older than, than obviously the 18 year old Fedorov and Burray. Right. So. So we both agree with Pavel there, or did you have yeah. somebody else in the six slot?
0: No, nope, we agreed. That's why I slotted him up going to Chicago to replace uh, Chicago's original pick, which was defenseman Adam Bennett, who played a whole 69 games. He was out of Sudbury.
1: A yep. uh, six foot four, big defenseman. Yep, I, I remember that guy. He didn't have the foot speed uh, to compete uh, consistently in the lineup, so... Uh, yeah, so that's a big uh swing there, have Alburri.
0: Yeah, he was the he was the start of four straight defensemen that went in that draft because at seven the North Stars took Doug's Moloch. So who do you got yeah. in seven for your redraft?
1: Molok was a high school player out of Minnesota, so they, they thought highly of him. He did play four hundred and sixty seven games, but uh, I'm trying to I got Vladdy Konstantinoff from the same team c s k a moscow top defenseman from detroit nothing else needs to be said there obviously shortened career right. four hundred plus game but uh we all know his presence and uh very very well uh, very well would have uh fit nicely in that seventh slot
0: i went i went defense but i took uh i bumped this guy up from the second round he had uh Nice career with the Canadians. I moved Patrice Brizois up to that seventh pick.
1: Yeah, big sizable defenseman. I think he won the Cup in 93 with the Mares when Jock led that team. And uh, the the season, I think they went and won like 11 straight overtime games during that Cup run. You'll never see that
0: again. Right. I just.
1: And he was a big, big. be positive with that defensive core because I remember they had Dejardin and uh, I think Chris Chelios was still there, right? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Schneider. I don't. Maybe maybe Chelios was in Chicago. Yeah,
0: Chelios would have been gone by that run. Yeah, it
1: was Schneider, Desjardin, uh These all these young guys, and they just didn't have a very good regular season, but uh, got got them into got themselves into the playoffs, and then rode on Patrick Waugh and, uh, solid, uh, defensive presence. They just kind of put it all together and, uh, started winning these tight games. And I remember Breeze being a, being a big factor in all that for sure. So, surprises yeah. Surprised if you plug him that high though, Joe. I mean, I yeah, but, you know.
0: I did. I took him. I bumped him from 30. He played over a thousand games. So he was a solid defenseman in the league for, gone longevity on that one.
1: Yeah. That's a, probably a good pick. I mean, uh, Maybe may better than some of the ones that I have plugged in, but uh, what do you got for number eight? I, Vancouver's uh, pick, Jason Hurtar. Uh, he was a, a player out of North Dakota. They, they were up-and-coming college program that started producing NHL players, more so in the later years from this 89, more in the 90s, they started doing that, but. Uh, this guy did play 526 games. Um, he only played one game in the NHL, though. Right. Uh, as far as with the uh, with the Islanders, you know, so yeah. he's kind of a bust as draft pick goes, especially for the eighth pick. Who do you yeah. got?
0: I plugged in the former Hartford Whaler and New Jersey Devil Bobby Holik. I bumped him up from 10 to eight.
1: That's what I did as well. A good, good career. The guy played over 1,300 games, uh, 326 goals. He was he epitomized the power forward, uh, you know, 6'3", 225 pounds, and just tough guy. And, uh, he, he won a couple with uh, New Jersey in 95, I believe. Yep. Uh, he's just a solid player. Tough guy. Um, never had to fight because nobody would test him, but, uh, you know, good, good player, and, uh, I think that would be a solid, uh, pick,
0: uh, in the eighth slot for sure. Yes. We got our last two picks. So nine, St. Louis took Jason Marshall, defenseman out of the BCHL. played over 500 games. Who'd you slot in at number nine?
1: Boy, um, believe it or not, I, I think I popped in. This is where it gets kind of thin i uh I put Chris Draper in there, okay you know, 1,157 games played and uh he's a shutdown center uh, good grinder, obviously, and we all need those type of players. any championship team needs them if you, if you did the if you did the research and you looked at any NHL Stanley cup winning team. Uh, they've always had the third and fourth liners that played significant minutes and, uh, posed a, 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 a shutdown factor. And Chris Draper definitely, uh, set that
0: precedence. I put in, uh, I think you took a, you plugged him in at four, but I got Adam Foot at nine.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, he would have ended up with the Blues at nine. They picked a defenseman originally, so they would have uh, made out a little wow. bit better with Adam Foote than uh, Jason Marshall.
1: Yeah, could you see him playing alongside uh, Al McGinnis?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow, or even just putting him on uh, different pairings. Uh, that would that would uh, keep you well and in, in, uh, high up in the standings for a long time.
0: Yeah, it's it's always nice to look back. You got. His foot went originally 22nd, so he was the first pick in the second round. So before him, right. you got that Steve Bancroft went at twenty one, Jamie Heward, dude, he had a three hundred ninety some games. And then Edmund Holler, yeah, ben Kevin Spoon. Holler, Jason Sewells, Lindsey Vallis, just a bunch of you know. Kevin Holler had a decent career, but yeah, none of them compared to Adam Foot.
1: So, well, I don't think added all their total games up. With every defenseman that was in the first round, I yeah. guarantee you it would be much more than uh right the the eleven hundred and fifty four games played that uh that Adam Flip threw out
0: there. Yeah, the point total might be close too. He wasn't a big offensive guy, but I you don't know. Oh, no. Given the, the talent that was picked ahead of him, yeah, he, he his point total might equal all of them put together. Yeah. Who do you
1: got for number 10, Joe?
0: All right, rounding out my top 10, like you said, it got pretty thin, pretty quick. I did have a bunch of the Red Wings after that, the Konstantinov, Sillinger, Dallas Drake. Uh, but I ended up with my 10th overall pick. I took Robert Reichel out of the uh, the uh Czech League. I bumped him up okay. from, he originally went 70th. Uh, to Calgary, so he would have went. I had him at ten to Hartford.
1: And he end up in Colorado and L.A. Was he at the that the Reichel that played for?
0: Ah, there was a Warren. The Robert was in Calgary. Yeah, I think okay. he was in Calgary for quite That's a Warren. while.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's Warren right I'm thinking about. Yeah,
0: Robert was in Calgary, and then he was in Toronto. I think to end his career.
1: Right. I I I slotted Dallas Drake in there.
0: That's solid. Yeah. Uh,
1: a thousand games played. Uh, I remember Bowman always knocking him for probably being the dumbest player he's ever coached. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the guy was, uh, he became a very solid professional. You knew what you're going to get out of him. Um, and, uh, obviously out of Northern Michigan. So, uh, he scored some big goals late in his career and, uh, you know, a tough guy for his size.
0: Right. Yeah, he was a hard worker for sure. Most
1: definitely, uh, so I, I think he would warrant a 10th slot. Um, uh, you know, that's about it, but as far as some of the other players that are notables, like obviously I had, I had, uh, Kolzig at 15. I had, um, like Donald Audet. I always thought he was a very good player mm-hmm. of the Quebec Junior League. Yep. He played with Val. Uh, I thought of Buffalo. He was always a solid player as a, a, a third-line like right winger. Yep. Um, I like Derek Plant, although he only played 450 games. He came out of high school in Minnesota. Uh, Arthur Spur Bay, obviously, a uh, good goalie for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Malikov, another Russian, uh, played 712 games as a defenseman. Had some good years in the NHL. Uh, that pretty much rounds it out. I don't think. Other than that, it was relatively thin. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I had so, Jason.
0: Yeah, I had. I had pulled. I had pulled Jason Woolley up at fourteen. I had uh, Stu Barnes, who originally went fourth. I had him at fifteen. I did. I pulled in Donald Audet. Also, he went 183rd to Buffalo, but like you said, he was always a pretty underrated player and he was pretty good on those those Buffalo teams in the nineties. Um, and then I had Travis Green, he's the only one that you didn't mention. I hit him right at, at twenty. I think he went twenty third to the Islanders.
1: I like Jason. I liked um I liked uh Stu Barnes better than him. Although Travis Green I think was a victim of uh, another tall big kid, you know, he's always a but I always thought he underachieved. I mean, I think he has had good years with the Islanders a couple of times, but I don't know. I just, overall, I think he just, he, he never amounted to the player he should have. So that's why I kind of left him off with this. Okay.
0: But anyway. Yeah, the 19, that. the 1989 redrafts, maybe as we look for things to talk about, and they will do uh, some more of these over the next couple of weeks until they get the season up and running. Uh, but, we wanted to add this week some stories of the game. So, obviously, you uh drafted by the Canadians back in 1982, played in Verdun, and this week we want to talk about one of your teammates in the 82-83 season. He ends up going third overall in 83. Uh, another guy that played locally uh, or in Detroit, the U.S. Olympic team, Mr. Pat LaFontaine. Uh, so what, uh, you got a guy, he didn't have, you, know, you look him up online, he doesn't have any, any stats prior to his 82, 83 season in Verdun. He comes in and he scores 104 goals. Uh, so what, you know, what was LaFontaine like? You know, coming into camp, did, had you guys heard about him? Was there, was there a lot of talk oh. about this kid when he came in?
1: Well, Patty and I, uh, obviously growing up in Michigan and, um, you know, I played AAA in the same league as he did, uh, as 15 year olds. Okay. And Patty was like probably 14 at the time. And, um, we were both born in February. So, you know, we had heard about him. Now, the funny thing about him is I got to Verdun in a different way than he did. He was drafted in the OHL draft. I can't remember what team he took him out on us at Belleville or somebody. And he basically told them, you know, don't expend a first round pick on me. I plan on going up to the Quebec league. So Verdon ended up taking him in the draft, but kinda of like the same scenario you would see with this Lidstrom thing in the eighty nine draft. So there is a kinda of a good thing why you brought that up. Um because I think they took Patty, and I, I have the junior magazine that shows that draft. And I think he was taken in like the ninth round or something in the Quebec Major Junior League draft. The same year Belleville, or whoever, drafted him first overall in the <laughs> OHL. Okay. So it's kind of crazy. So uh, that's when this gentleman named Eric Taylor came around. And it's funny because um, that same year I got drafted out of high school by the Canadians. They took me late because nobody knew about this kid in, in Michigan high school or, you know, I was told when I signed the contract and I'll get to that point later that I could have been probably a high second round pick if, if I was in a more notable area,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, playing. But so our, our paths crossed again. And, um, I remember Eric Taylor coming and telling me at my house, you know, comes with this, he's just a little guy, you know, and he's a general manager and a scout for the Canadians, but he's also the general manager for the Quebec Major Junior League, Verdun Juniors, which is the Junior Canadians. Right. Uh, we, were, we were owned by Molson, you know. So he comes in and he, you know, he does this old uh, recruiting pitch and trying to to bring me on board. Uh, the cool thing about it is they didn't have to expend a, a, a draft pick on me because I was already Montreal's property. All right. You see where I'm going with that, Joe? Right. So I end up, you know, getting the sales pitch. You know that this is going to simulate, you know, an NHL schedule as opposed to American college, which I was getting a ton of, ton of letters to play. You know, and offers to play major Division One college hockey at the time, but it wasn't a proving ground yet. Like it was like three years earlier. And the Adam Oates signing and all that—you know, those three players, the Red Wings, uh, Chris Chihocki, a local boy in Warren, right? And, um, uh, Ray Stazak and Adam Oates—they both got signed as free agents out of college in the mid '80s. So it was like three years later. Right. So we, my my family and I, decided that we I'd go play up Verdun, okay? And then I could also go to college there, McGill University or whatever. Um. So there was there was some positives to that. So I went up there and played, okay, and then Patty came. I, he, the recruiter, Eric Taylor, used Patty as leverage for me, you know, like, like, hey, this kid, Patty LaFontaine, and I knew Pat because he played at Compuware, and, and he did have like 383 goals in uh, Midget AAA. <laughs> he played with Alfie Turcott and he had four other defensemen from that team, I afraid he hacked a uh, few other guys. Uh, Jimmy Nessich, who came up to Verdun a year later, and Jimmy Carson was also on that team. So they were probably one of the better uh, teams in the nation at that age group. They only lost one game, and it happened to be to Eddie Olchek and uh, Team Illinois okay. that year in the final. And on that team was another player named Adam Glickman who was a powerful skating defenseman from Skokie, Illinois, who ended up coming up there with us. So there's three Americans Mm -hmm. and Eric Taylor used the sales pitch, you know, bringing these two names to me. And then when he went and talked to Pat, he would bring my name up and Adam's name. You see, I would see where I'm going with that.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And when he talked to Adam, they, these two kids from Michigan. So we went up there and we all became pretty tight. We all lived together at the time. Uh, in a house that was ironically where Ray Bork billeted when he played for the Verdun Leafs. Okay. So a family named the Ace. Well, we end up, and I mentioned this to you prior, it's like it was before training camp and we're young kids and we're sitting there watching cable TV, you know, before training camp, just not knowing what to do on, a, on an afternoon, sunny afternoon in Montreal in a, in a poor community of Verdun and, and, uh, we end up, they have these walk-in, um, cellars downstairs where they're like freezers and this, there's a ton of beer down there where the PV was and we're just popping a few and drinking them. And when the, when the, the dad came home to uh, dinner, his wife made him dinner. He usually had his beer waiting for him too. And they were all gone and, uh, we end up getting getting called by the general manager and uh they ousted all three of us well then pat eventually went back so i I don't know if that was planned or what so me and adam end up with another family and uh called the Phelpses and they still contact them today we lived with them and it worked out well for everybody but yeah pat pat was a a special player he ended up tearing it up pretty good and uh we all started off you know being very comfortable there and they only take six non-Quebecians on their roster, which made it kind of integral. Uh, so we took up three of the slots right away, and a lot of these Canadians didn't like that. You know? So, you know, we, we had it rough for the first. You know, we were pioneers, kind of. We kind of skipped over the OHL and went right into the Quebec League, and there wasn't too many Americans going in the O at the time either. Right. Well, we'd be fighting in training camp, and Pat was smaller, and he'd take, people would be taking liberties on him. I remember his arms being cut up all the time from slashes and stuff, and well, eventually when we made the training camp and then the roster and everything, and then started producing right away,
2: you
1: know, you know, you know, things lightened up a little bit, but throughout the league, we barnstormed a little bit, and as uh, Pat was you know, putting up these monstrous numbers, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and, you know, me and Adam kind of got spillover press from that too. We had Boston globe guys hunting down, doing stories on us and wanting to follow us around a day in Montreal. You know, we take them to concerts and everything. They just do an interview, tell us to be, be normal kids and act like you normally would. So obviously we had to clean up a lot of it, but you know, for the story, but you know, that's, that's, uh, kind of how it all started. All
0: right. Yeah. So you got. Some time with Pat. What was he? What was he like? Was he a, was he quiet, keep to himself kind of a guy or was he, was he out there to immediately, you know, he's obviously had some superior skill on the ice. Was he looked at as, as a leader on the team?
1: No, not really. Pat, Pat fit in. Uh, we had captains and assistants that were already there established uh, in the league. Um, there was like probably 10 of us that were already drafted by pro teams. Um, Pat's little was Guy Lafleur, so that was the main reason why he came there. And ironically, when I got drafted my first training camp, uh, that's who I was centering. So um, I didn't have a contract going into that camp, but when we played the inter-squad games, I ended up getting three goals and six assists. I have this cool picture of Pat sitting in the stands watching my training camp. So he got to kind of see the whole vibe of what it was like to me. NHL training camp, and it was a pretty rigorous training camp. Um, so here I am playing with his title, and uh, you know he'd be asking me questions, and that was always a humble guy, you know, and a uh, great teammate. He uh, was never bigger than the team, even though he was putting up these numbers, and the press was on him, and uh, we were filling stadiums everywhere. It was, was real crazy, and um, you know he always held it in check, and uh, I attribute that to maybe his Parents uh, were always pretty grounded people, I'm always telling them to make sure that you got the balance properly over there. People are going to be tugging at you. He always seemed to uh, keep it in check. And, uh, you know, every once in a while he'd come over to my house and we would, you know, uh, just talk, you know, and just uh, be normal American kids, you know, which the miss sometimes as an 18 and 17 year old. Right.
0: So I was going to ask, they talk about, the, the game translating. You see, scouts. That's a big part of their their job is not only finding talents. There's a lot of people that excel at the junior level, and for whatever reason, the scouts see something in their game, and they you know they say that doesn't translate to the next level. So, you know, with, with Pat playing with him you know, back in in the early 80s, could could you just tell that you know what he had was was going to be a good fit, and it would translate to that next level?
1: Oh, most definitely. Like, Pat really wasn't called to play defense on our team,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, but, man, he had a quick burst, and it's weird because um, we do these skills competitions. And I actually had a quicker uh, skating time than him from a, a flat-out straight burn down the ice, mm-hmm. but what made Pat special was his ability to go east and west, okay. and he had that quick burst, you know, and... Um, uh, I just remember, uh, you know, scouts were starting to talk about him and this other kid named Eiserman, and then Brian Lawton was another name that came up, and those were the top three picks right there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I could have, I could have swore Detroit was going to uh, take Pat. I was really surprised when they didn't. Uh, but we got the, we got to. Uh, Pat didn't come back to Verdun the second year. He ended up playing for the U.S. Olympic team, and I remember they all came. For an exhibition game at the Montreal Forum, and uh, some of his old teammates—there was probably maybe eight or nine of us still on the team, second year—got uh, invited over to the Boy A's for a party with all the '84 uh, 80, Olympic team uh, when they came in town after the game. So it was pretty pretty cool evening. Um, but uh, yeah, they got a taste of Pat and what he was all about, and uh, Pat. Pat was a skilled player and uh, he could pass the puck as well. I likened him to Marcel Dion a little bit because of his size and he was hard to knock off his feet. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, you could tell he was going to be a can't misser, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, he went and I, I bet you who took Lawton? Lawton went first, right? Was it That's Lawson Barrasso? Lawson Barrasso, then Lafontaine? Oh. I don't think or no, so have, Sylvain Turgeon. Sylvain Turgeon went second.
1: Yeah. Okay, he was another guy that played yeah. in the Quebec League. He played for Hull. Yep. And, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, Pierre's, uh, I think it's his cousin, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's his, yeah, I think it's cousin.
1: Yeah, so that's, yeah, two, or uh, his brother. Or his brother. I think. But, uh, his younger, his older brother, but, uh, yeah, so uh Pierre played with the whole Olympics and uh so he was second.
0: Yeah, Lawton with Hartford, went with Hartford? Yeah, Lawton went first to Minnesota, the North Stars, and then Sylvain went to Hartford second, then Lafontaine went third Iserman. and even and then Eisman, yeah, so and then Barrasso went fifth. So even with Lafontaine's shortened career with injuries, he still put up more goals, assists and points than uh and then, then combine the Lawton and Terja and combine.
1: Yeah, Patty was a Patty scorer, man. I, I remember. See, I played on the same mind as him when the season started mm-hmm. in Verdun, and uh, this is before we got Gerard Delon. Uh, so we 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 had no problem scoring goals. We led the whole Canada uh, junior hockey across the board in all three leagues. We we led the league in goal scoring. Mm-hmm. We scored the most goals in any team. Uh, our our problem was our goaltending, so we ended up going to Memorial Cup that year. But we we had a nice team. Uh, we could score, but it wasn't until they bumped me off his line. We got Gerard Galan in a trade. They moved him on the left side, moved me down to the checking line where I played right wing, and. You know, that's when we started really rolling. We started getting playoff ready and then we kind of made a deep run. And I was actually on the checking line and I scored 13 goals that playoff. My center scored about nine and then our left winger, Danny Campbell, scored about seven. So that's nice production. Like we talked about with some of these players like Audette and all that. You need the third, fourth line players to produce. You know, so we would... We'd go up against all the top player, uh, like Mario Lemieux. We end up stopping his scoring streak. <laughs> uh, he had 50, he had 50 some games where he'd scored a point and my line ended up shutting down. Uh, that was pretty cool. It's a hockey news. It's a, it's a cool story. And, uh, you know, he was dominating the league, but he, he had trouble scoring against us, man. Uh, I just got in his kitchen a lot. I ended up move. They moved me to center whenever we played them because I, I was six two and he was about six four, but I would get in his kitchen, you know, and not let him get those long arms. Yeah. But going back to Patty, Patty, was, I think had the league in scoring that year. Mew was a little bit younger, played on a good Laval team, yeah. but they got upset. And, and so we, we played long game Chevrolet, Chevy A's. We played them in the, for the president cups and we played those games at the Montreal <laughs> forum and, uh, it should, they beat Laval. I'll get this over. it would have been a great series between Brown and Laval. Lemieux against Lafontaine, uh, to go to the Dakota Memorial Cup, but it never materialized. They got upset. Uh-huh. And that team was Yeah. That team was coached by Doc Lemaire, you know, so he did. He, he had a good, good plan. The, the long gates escape, but. And the funny thing about that series is Joe, they didn't want to play, they didn't want to play all the games at the Montreal forum, uh, because they were predominantly for us, you know, because of Patty and, uh, the season we had. Right. And we were owned by Canadians. So we fill in that, the barn up 20,000 at the forum and they didn't even want the gate. So they, they decided they wanted their home games in their own little rink there that sat only, you know, 4,000 people. Thinking that it would give them an edge in the series and it didn't. So they lost all that money out on the gate. They burned that away just for a chance to advance to the Memorial Cup. We beat them in five games. Should have been a sweep, but they sat, they sat me and a few other guys in game four, uh, to bring another game back to the forum. So that stuff does happen, you know? <laughs> so we end up beating like, uh, geez. I got the game on the tape but it's like in up beat of like uh I think uh, I want to say three or something in the fifth and deciding game and then uh, you know went into Memorial Cup in Portland and Pat was sick he you know another thing about Pat is he had allergies really bad so I remember him going to the doctor every Tuesday morning or something to get injections and uh, just being run down you know the media was always on you know right. wanting them. And pulling at them, tugging at them. Right. I mean, you know, it, it's, it was a, really a sight to behold, I mean. Um, but other than that, I I mean, we all uh, we won the President Cup, and then we had this parade in Verdun, which a lot of people came. It was like five minutes. Verdun's like five minutes outside of Montreal, so you can see the skyline. And There's tons of people there. And uh, it was cold out. For some reason, it was really cold still, and we didn't dress properly and we end up all getting the flu before we, uh, flew out to Portland. So we were half the team was sick when we went to the Memorial Cup. But, uh, you know, we end up opening against Cam, uh, Cam Neely and, uh, Alfie Turcot and Ken Yurencuk and, uh, Portland Winterhawks. They had a really good team. Ray Ferraro played on that team and John Cordick and uh, Curran and all these guys. And play fair, and they end up up drawing them in the first uh, game of the Memorial Cup, and uh, we lost six to five. Uh, But by the time we figured out we could skate them into the ground, I mean we gave up uh, five goals in the first period. We were down five to one after one, and we almost beat them. We had another five minutes in that game because we found out their defense was slow, and we were walking them. We were we, we were probably the fastest team in that tournament by far. You know, team had Lethbridge Broncos, the Oshawa Generals, and the Portland Winterhawks. Okay. Yeah. So, oh,
0: man. So yeah, with you talking about Pat and all the press he got, that was that was probably pretty rare out there in the Quebec League and the French news to give that much attention to an American of all of all people.
1: Yeah, it was some some people took offense to it, man, but. I mean, it it got to the point where we were, we were playing games and as the national anthem was going on, uh, we'd have to leave our helmets on at a certain point because the new tradition was they were throwing raw eggs (laughs) at our bench. Really? Yeah. And those things come in like missiles, man, when they're, they're traveling a distance. I remember ducking once and hit Pierre Kramer who ended up, he was a coach, uh, Mario News rookie year. Okay. Uh, coaching uh pittsburgh penguins so uh you know one one egg hit him right in the shoulder and, and it, it put him out man
0: so they were you ch- know, like they were chucking just at the opposing team or they were aiming for the americans specifically uh, i think just the opposing team <laughs> but, you know yeah that's well it's just one
1: of the stories but uh you know, so it all—it wasn't all nice. I mean, uh, we were Americans playing their game, you know, and uh, it all started back in training camp. I mean, you know, I—I was—I remember, was, geez, being teammates with these guys. But I remember during training camp, I actually—I actually threw a few big hits and put a few of them out, and know, well, just to win a spot. Right. So you had to earn the respect. Yeah. So I was fighting a lot in the first probably two months of the season but I could handle myself I was a left-handed thrower that surprised a lot of guys but you know the Quebec league is known as a finesse league but, yeah you still you still had the, the gamesmanship the tough guys on each team and you know taking runs and liberties you know it was nice to get glad over there because we were one of the smallest teams in junior hockey but we were the fastest, but uh, we, we got Gerard. We added a little edge, and that, that kind of helped us.
2: Yeah, well, that's so,
0: We'll leave it there, and we will talk about Gerard next time in a story of the game. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's uh, all we got planned uh, for this week. Uh, obviously, not much to be going on in, in the realm of hockey, but any updates uh, we'll bring to you next week. So until then, I'm Joe for Tom. We'll see you back here next time on the lighter side.
1: See you later.